Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. This episode is brought to you by Kender Tires. With over 60 years of experience in manufacturing tires, Kenda has been offering high quality rubber products for bicycles, cars, light trucks, motorcycles, ATVs, trailers, carts, golf carts. The list goes on since 1962 with offices and factories across Asia, North America, Europe. Kenda distributes its products globally and employs more than 10,000 people. Now listen to this number. They produce more than 800,000 tires and tubes daily. It's easy to see why Kenda is one of the top five largest bicycle tire manufacturers in the world. Now I am lucky to be supported by them and I helped design, develop, I was involved in the passion and the work that they put into developing the new range of bicycle tires that they have that people use and compete on the World Cup circuit. How's it? Welcome back, World of Mountain Biking. This is a new sort of style of show. This is episode three, if my memory serves me correctly. We'll answer your questions. We'll banter about the world of MTB, or at least our worlds of MTB. Thanks for sending in those questions. Make sure whenever you have a question, maybe pop me a direct message. We'll uh, log it, and I will try answer those. With me is none other than Miles Kelsey, a former world champion, Masters world champion of downhill, Runs Bike Network. He's a good friend and has incredible experience in the mountain bike world. Rode back in the day, BMX. So, uh, yeah, let's hop to another episode of our world of MTV. Milo, what is cracking? Needles, all good, my side, mate. How are you? No, no, no complaints. Um, I'm busting through winter here in South Africa. It's not too bad. We have some sneaky good days. But uh, my net next trip will be Whistler, as it as it seems. So I can't complain. And you are getting ready for uh, your voyage over to Morzine, right? I'm not as patient as you are with winter. I've had enough. I'm pulling the plug on South Africa, heading to Northern Hemisphere tomorrow. Heading up to Morzine for two and a half weeks. Live a bike holiday, a bit of work up going on up there. So really looking forward to that. What can you tell me about it? What's been uh, sort of your uh, prep prep for a mountain bike holiday? Uh, I think um, well, I've got a new bike. That's for one. I've got a 200 millimeter. I've got a big, big, big bike. So I want to go run that on some big mountains. I haven't been over for four years. I was in Europe last four years ago uh, in Andorra. And... Um, I've been riding a lot of XC and trail and e-bikes and stuff like that. And uh, I just want to go jump on some ski lifts, get some sun and experience Morzine. I actually haven't been to Morzine before. So being the mecca of mountain biking in Europe, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, they are one of the sort of early adopters of, of building trails and using the lifts. Um, the town's pretty damn cool. It, it's hosted a lot of pros in between races. I know a few of them, we've been watching the reels and stuff. A few of them been already this this season. I think that's probably the last we'll see of them with how busy the season is because they're off to, in the downhill side, they're off to Snowshoe, then Mount St. Anne, some of them to Whistler, then it's Worlds, and the last World Cup. So the season is really kicking off. But uh, yeah, if you are in Europe... You've got to go check out the Porto Soleil. I mean, they've got 
30, I could be wrong. 32-ish odd lifts. Could, they could have added to it. They're all linked. So you can go on all-day adventures. It's pretty damn cool. I'm very excited. Um, so I'm there with two other guys, and they're on uh, trail bikes or enduro bikes. So um, I'm on a downhill bike, no dropper post, nothing like that. And they're threatening to go and do these long days and stuff. So I'm a little... Um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little uh, underprepped for long rides on downhill bikes, but um, we'll see. Apparently, it's the, the traverses aren't too bad, so I, I, I'm just stoked. I'm, I'm ready to go now. The bike is packed. It's in the box. I'm packed. Like, I could fly in 20 minutes. I could jump on the plane. Well, uh, I, I'm on your side. If you're going to get bullied into long days, that's what I just mentioned. There's 32 lifts. There's a way to make an adventure with just lift access and then you traverse into these areas. So um, I look look forward to hearing about more zine from a bike holiday standpoint, not prepping or training, you know, getting back to the core of why we all ride. And, and we spoke about in the last episode, it's some of our meditation. It's good for the soul. It's good for the mind. It's healthy. So I definitely look forward to it. And, uh, you know, in the world of, of mountain biking, some of these questions we're getting, are oh, we are going to dive into it? We're race fans, we're gravity fans, but we are mountain bike fans. So the questions can come from any genre, be it bike setup, be it all that. I'll, uh, I'll start jumping into a few questions and then we see where it goes. I'm going to save one of the topics that you mentioned for a little later, but maybe we'll just hop straight in because it's going to be a good question for us. How do you think DH has changed over the years? Are tracks getting easier or bikes better was one of the points he made. I think it's a it's an interesting topic because it's a bit of both. Um, I would say overall, it does seem like the tracks are easier, some of them to get down. You know, with the with them introducing places like Leo Gang, yes, they've built that steep section, but there's bits in between where they use bike park. So it's definitely sometimes easier to get down, um, but that doesn't mean it's easier to race. You know, it's super hard to find gaps. But then I think with the bikes, they're able to do more than they did back in the day as well. So it makes some of these sections look easy in the art because that last section, even in a bike park style track of Leo Gang, is like treacherous to get down. So I think, yeah, I'm a little bit, Bum, because some of the tracks back in the day, I mean, it, it was a bit of a challenge just to get down clean, right? And that's what you want to see. You want to challenge these guys. You want it's fair, safe, but you want to sort of make it quite difficult to get down. Now, with TV coming in, you want the tracks to be sort of three minutes, makes for optimum TV. And Dora, right, looked really good in places because they're going so fast. But that, that creates sort of danger and accident. So I think the bikes are getting better. I think more people have access to good bikes, more people have access to to riding and and the competition thus is deeper. I 100% agree with you. It's a little bit of both. Tracks are are better. There's probably some of it's probably maybe less danger. Let's just exclude Andorra from this conversation, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there's probably on the whole there's less danger on the new tracks. The 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 Builders are a little smarter, and um, but uh, the bikes are definitely way better um, and and way faster. And I think both have have increased. Um, you know, both both bikes and tracks have become uh, better, basically, which has made for better racing, actually, too, more fun racing. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I'm I'm looking at the tracks. Like maybe we're not. The guys are just so good as well. Skill levels have developed as well, and you know, and everyone's with the juniors coming up doing those fast times. They're going to push the elites again because they're not going to be happy that say a junior time, yes, a different time of the day is that fast. So like everyone's elevating their game and maybe making some of these tracks definitely to, if you're watching from home, they look a lot easier than they actually are in person. Definitely. But bikes are getting better. Geometry's better. Brakes are better. Suspension's so good. Tires are so good. So you're able to make trickier sections look easier as well. Imagine riding Fort William um, on Fort William now, like Pedrock on say i don't know what was the bike of the era 20 years ago the orange triple two or the gti drive imagine riding fort william now with all those massive square edges those holes on a bike from 20 years ago imagine imagine how hard it would be just to finish a run in one piece you or the bike yeah no i was gonna say all on that mongoose thing that i had back in the day was <laughs> worse than the orange so i know what it feels like to try clatter down a track like fort william but you're right uh you i mean it was it would probably be the equivalent of riding down well, i'd rather ride down fort william on a trail bike of 2022 than a downhill bike of early 2000s definitely yeah that's funny and that probably leads me to a topic that we can maybe dig into is some of the things that have progressed mountain biking, right? So you you gave you know three parts that have say changed the mountain bike game, and I think in this era, it's probably safe to say geometry has played a huge role, and that leads back to the topic we've just said. Downhill bike geometry has changed over the years, and that's filtering down into cross country marathon and what we call maybe a segment of riding is down country, which a lot of riders maybe listening to this have. 120 more bike, 130 more bike, or at least 150 more bikes. Um, and you're able to go down in suspension total, I think, because the geometry is so good. Speak to that. I, 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 uh, I'd say geometry before travel. Uh, geometry is more so? important you than... think so? Yeah, I completely, completely. Like, I agree with you. I'd rather have a, a 150 more bike with the, best, with, with the right geometry than a 200 mil bike that's like two degrees off here, short wheelbase, short reach. Like you'd be so much faster, even on a, I think you could even go to like a, like a down country. You could go to 120 mils and have the right geometry, put some big meat tires on, smash it down a modern downhill track, and you'd probably be just as quick as those old school downhill bikes like the Cannondale Super V and all those things from, you know, 20 25 years ago definitely yeah i think like if a bb's in the wrong position and some back in the day like some bikes they got it wrong and the bb was so high and the head angle is quite steep you can do what you want with suspension but you couldn't get a good feeling on the bike you didn't feel stable you didn't feel planted and in the bike um and i think even these down country bikes my spark 120 and 130 in the front i've had to put smaller tires on it because I keep forgetting that it's got less travel. So if I put my trail tires on it, I end up getting into a little bit of shit. So I decided that I need to put smaller, more XE style tires on it so that I would 
you know, have sketchier grip and realize I was on a sort of a more, I say twitchy bike. The bike's barely twitchy. But I had to trick myself because I had, you know, the tires I use are my genius. And then I'd be get going and then I'd have a few moments and go, you know, where did that come from? But it was because I didn't quite have as much travel as, say, a genius or ransom. So, yeah, geometry has come a long way. But it also, for the consumer at home, can be a bit overwhelming where everyone's saying longer, lower, slacker is better. You know, there's also marketing hype to that that you've got to be careful of. You've got to decide where you ride the most, where you get the most pleasure from. And if that's tight, slower, switchbacky type single tracks, um, that's maybe something to consider. Maybe the large in that bike brand isn't for you. Maybe you need to be on the medium. And, and Jared Graves spoke about that as well. It's not just one one size in terms of going bigger fits all. Yeah, I think um, geometry's made. I think the biggest gains in geometry have been made by the bike industry over the last even five years. And I, th I think the new bikes now, the modern geometry bikes across the genres from, okay, some brands are a little bit behind, but their next bike will likely be on point. And I don't think there are many more gains to be, massive gains to be had in geometry. I think like, you know, downhill's like 63, 62, 63. I mean, and then Enduro's pretty much the same, like about 64 maybe. And then Trail, Down Country and XC are all pretty much around 65 to 67 really. And I think like just, just looking at one dimension the head angle like those are also close now there was you know there's um what's that five degrees difference in head angle from a downhill bike to an xe bike like that's not a lot if maybe five to ten years ago we would have maybe as much as eight or nine degrees difference in head angle i think all bikes have moved towards downhill bike geometry and they've all found the real space they need to play in now and I think that um, it's going to be easier for people buying bikes now to get the right bike because I think most brands have, have, have caught up and are catching up to what modern geometry should be. And it can't really go, like you said, can't really go much longer, can't really go much slacker. So I think we're in a good space with geometry. I think there'll be a lot, there'll be some small tweaks on geometry moving forward, but I think there'll be a lot of changes and refinements on things like brakes and suspension um, and maybe different materials. You know, there may be manufacturers will look at different materials, alternate materials that help a downhill bike perform better and help a XC bike perform better. Yeah, it seems that we're in a space really how technology has caught up so much to the point that it's real marginal gains. So the geometry can be tweaked a little marginally, but you can't go too far. You know, there's always a balance and, you know, you have a really slack head angle and there's pros to that, but then you start creeping in and you get a lot of cons. So yeah, I think that was a good point in the last little while. We've got to a point that geometry is almost at its sort of peak performance and that's a great topic and and we can bring some more topics and we maybe want to hear 
from a listener, what do they think some of the best innovations have been? Like you would think, you know, we can, you know, drop off all these other things, suspension, brakes, everything has really got a lot better. But something as sort of unseen as geometry, you know, such a simple little thing can do a lot for you for your ride. Yeah, I think it's probably the biggest improvement, the, the biggest factor. But I mean, it's difficult to say because tires have improved so much. Suspension has improved. Um, the drivetrain has advanced. I mean, I did an article and I, sp- I wrote about how, I mean, you, you were riding back then, like the chain would come off on every run down a hill. I mean, you, sometimes you couldn't ride more than a minute on a downhill track. This is 20 years ago. And uh, the chain would come off. Or every three minutes, you'd flat the rear tire. Um, there was just endless issues with bikes back then. It's quite an incredible place. I mean, yes, I'm not saying bikes aren't expensive. Bikes are very expensive. Um, but they have advanced and a lot of people are having good times on bikes now. Um, and we used to hack a lot in the old days. Uh, like I think I said in my article, I probably would have given up riding if the industry and if the, in, there hadn't been this level of innovation um, in the industry because it was challenging. Like whether you were riding XC or downhill or dual slalom, or even Eliminator, like all those, we didn't have proper bikes for slalom or Eliminator. Like we were always hacking. Can you remember that? I mean, it, 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 yes, it was enjoyable, but we were, I don't think I would have, pers- like, I don't think I would have ridden for as long as I have if things hadn't gotten easier for us. Yeah, the innovation is it's such a cool industry and all industries are innovating. Don't get me wrong, but I would say, for the for the general public, this one by phenomenon has probably been. I mean, you can go riding, but dropping your chain and having to stop, and you, you know, and it was two by, and you're on your cross country bike. I mean, it was a hack, and your hands are full of oil. We've come a long way, you know. You just basically, if you got decent drive chain, you don't really drop a chain anymore. I mean, that's almost a thing of the past. One of the forks I had 20 years ago was a four-inch fork, and that was considered a downhill fork. I mean, that's not even XC these days. Like, 100 mils isn't even XC. But um, one of the forks I had wouldn't last more than two, three runs. And Steve Bowman at a local bike shop, yeah, he actually works for Fox Suspension now. He, he, was, he, he was the one who pushed me to open oil bath. He was the one who put me on a Marzocchi fork. Because the one I had was, I mean, the elastomers were flying out of the top cap. I was going to say, John T almost lost an eye. Did you remember that story? I do, I do. I mean, the riders of today, if you guys are listening and you're newest to the sport, you are so pumped. John T, my brother, we're at the dirt jumps and his fork compressed a little bit up the lip. And where the top cap of a fork is now, you know, that's. Um, Aluminium, properly threaded, it's very safe, touch wood. These things were plastic, so that thread didn't last. These are cross-threaded, or just the pressure of the fork just kind of stripped that thread. So the top cap popped off, and then the elastomer, which is like a plasticky polymer that was sort of used instead of a spring, or to aid it, that thing compressed and then shot up and hit him in the shoulder, luckily not the eye. I mean, he was bruised. 
<laughs> wild, wild, wild. <laughs> yeah, crazy times. Crazy, crazy times. I remember when you got your first boxer and on your iDrive, and I remember how incredible that original boxer was. I mean, it was, it was the fork to have at the time. I mean, there's lots of good forks at the moment, but I remember when you got your boxer, and I was like, yeah, that's why he's beating us. Little, little did we know you'd go on to become a World Cup sensation. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, I remember that boxer. And, like, the innovation's always been there. There's always be, the brands have always been, it's not like they set out to make crappy stuff for everyone. Um, it's, I think it's just testament to how new the mountain bike industry is and how, um, you know, I mean, it's only 30 odd years old, you know. I mean, motocross is way more than, I mean, the AMA motocross series has been going for 50 years, but motocross is, and motocross off-road riding is older than that. So, you know, I think bike manufacturers, have, bicycle manufacturers have caught up very quickly to some of the other sports that have been around for a long time. Yeah, and even I even passed them with some innovation, I would argue, especially on the motocross side. I mean, the bikes, look, they're better and it's really fuel-injected motors and all that, but still the same similar frame design where the motor's mounted, suspension, some have played with linkages, not, but yeah, I'd say mountain bikes been an exciting place to be. Then uh, another question, all from Instagram. Sorry, what was that? I've got a question here, which um, this is actually a good segue for. Um, it comes from Sebastian, and he says, "Do you know if Greg actually puzzles? I'm assuming he's talking about Minar. Do you know if Greg Minar actually puzzles about suspension setup as much as the dialed show makes out, just for camera?" That's brilliant. Like, is Greg actually just acting um, and playing it up, or does he actually puzzle that much? Well, I think it's come up a little bit before. So I think it's a bit of both. So Greg is definitely one of the, the better testers, I, I would say, um, on giving feedback. He was pushed into a lot from an early age, especially with Honda and, and working with the show guys. So I've spoken to them. I think he is a decent guy for feedback. I will say it also seems like a thing that he has to do to tick all the boxes of being prepared for a race. So the suspension has to be good. And if and if he feels one click is going to give him that extra bit of confidence, then that's what he needs. So some of it, I would argue, is a placebo effect because if I took the bike and they did the changes, then I quickly change it back and this goes for me myself and a few guys i wonder if you quickly change it back if he would ride a similar pace very interesting so the question is does he actually puzzle like is greg putting it on for the camera or does he actually puzzle that hard i'll tell it to greg sometimes puts it on for the camera and i'll tell that to his face and it also it's what he needs to do. He he. I've I've seen him come into Fox, and and they, you know, he is puzzling a bit because, say he's a few seconds down, that could be line choice, it could be commitment. But if he goes and finds that it's suspension, then he can sleep at night and say, "Yep, I found something on the suspension. Tomorrow we good." So then he goes back to the racetrack with a bit more confidence, I think, as well. So sometimes he's puzzling. <laughs> sometimes he likes to puzzle for the sake of it. 
and sometimes it's just for the camera. <laughs> there you go. So that's that. Let me look at some of um, mine. Um, Davy Dave Valor. This is actually a great ride in his own right, and he mechanic for Brendan back when Brendan was with Sam on a team on the Monster Specialized. So he asked about the downhill surf, and then he goes, what about some behind-the-scenes stories? So I said, well, you've got to get the, quite a few. Give me a hint. Ugh, you know, just the good ones. I don't have many in mind. What about, has Chad Reed ever broken your windscreen? He's asking me. Okay, this sounds hilarious. Uh, yeah, technically he did. After the season... I would have a little bit of a blowout and uh, motocross destinations. Most downhillers are big motocross fans. And when it was in Europe, it would often be just after season and we'd get the crew together and we'd go to destinations. Obviously, it was after season, so a few adult beverages. Often, we didn't have accommodation, sleep in the car. Sometimes, you got to move the car late at night in these big paddocks in France. Sometimes, you end up taking a wrong turn and you're in the motocross paddock when they parting and if they don't enjoy handbrake turns sometimes chad reed throws rocks at your car so guilty chad reed owes me a windscreen <laughs> that's hilarious that's the short version there's 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 a few others we can keep for the next time you can ask me more about that but is that, that is that the that, P, the pg version that's the pg version that factually did happen so, it's yeah. your version of the truth yeah, no, there's definitely a few versions, but factually the windscreen was cracked and broken and we did take windscreen insurance last minute before the trip. So that was an interesting uh, coincidence. Classic. All right. Do you think there should be a U21 or U23 category after juniors to allow further development of riders? So he's obviously talking about downhill, which we do have this in cross country. I don't know if you want to lead it off, but it came up. A few people have mentioned it. I don't know if it's realistic, something that could ever happen. But the short for me is I like the idea and uh, I want to hear from Miles. I think that's a great idea. I've actually so I heard a rumor somewhere of DH1, DH2, you know, potentially format changes. Uh, maybe they're just rumors. I don't know. But, you know, um, I'd like to see more riders making it through um, onto podiums, and I'd like to see more of the racing. Um, so having an under-23, I think it's a great idea. What do you think? Definitely, whether it's U21 or U23, maybe in downhill it could be U21, so that gives you 19, 20, 21, another three years after junior. So the junior category, I, I'm, I've always been a bit hit or miss with it. I love the guys. Everyone's talented, but you are taking people out of school. You are taking people maybe a little early into the sport to travel the world. That's great. And you're putting everyone at a disadvantage if they can't fund it or get away and do a bunch of races as juniors. So back in the day, it, there was no junior carry. You had to qualify amongst the men. And clearly, if you were doing that, you knew you had a shot at it. So now, if you're a junior carry, does it give you this false sense of security that you could make it as a pro? And then you go into, you know, you get 11th as a junior, 12th. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. And then you jump to elite. 
And some people do develop slower or haven't had as much junior experience. And they might get lost in the system, especially now if they're talking about elites going to top 60 or which we can speak about because people are asking about this riders union. What's going on for next year? Well, there's not a lot of factual information. So does that then buy people a little bit more time and we build a U21 or U23 downhill category? And you can see some guys sort of gain a bit more experience and it's not as important to have had this crazy junior career before you go and step up to the elite lead ranks so maybe 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 it's a good idea to have it but then riders can also opt to move up oh 100 percent. yeah yeah you can opt you can it's like uh, in motocross 250f lights class big boy class yeah so like maybe you can move up if you've done x amount of seasons or if you've um you know, had ex had certain kind of results. If you if you haven't had those results or haven't done that many seasons, then you need to stay within your age group category, um, because that helps build the base of riders and helps expose more younger riders to the to what World Cup tracks are like. So, yeah, I think it's actually a very interesting topic. Who who brought that question up? That's give give that guy some kudos. Yeah, I will. I'm going to go into my stories here. Yeah, there's a bunch of responses. Oh, there they are. Um, there's a good funny one. Looks like... I think that's a great uh, idea. Donald Lonergon. So that was on Instagram. If I've got the name incorrect, I apologize. Great question. And I think Bruni and, uh, Bruni and Loic. <laughs> Loic Bruni, the one person, and Finn Isles, the other person. They spoke about a bit. And... and uh, it leads into the riders' union thing. We have to speak to the trade teams, the manufacturers. Does that help them invest in the younger riders, which a lot of teams like to do? Yeti used to do this as well. But then they get a little bit of recognition. They build a little bit of a name for themselves. Instead of, hey, we're helping these young guys, they're getting 35th. Incredible result these days. I know 31st doesn't sound like that. But there's so much depth. So then they go, okay, cool. We got on the U21 podium. Oh, okay. Let's let's look into him a little bit more. Okay, cool. He hasn't got a lot of experience, but he's doing well already. Let's keep an eye on him. Cool. Let's sign him next year and put him in the elite class. Whereas maybe if you're floundering around there and you have an injury and a tough year or two as elite, you maybe pack it in. Yeah, I, I like the idea. I think uh, school's important. You've got to finish school and you can't. You know, the sooner you start competing and, and being exposed to those tracks, the better you're going to be. But also, you know, what about those guys that don't make it? You know, what about those girl, guys that guys and girls that sacrifice education to some degree to to compete? You know, especially if you're traveling from Southern Hemisphere um, and faraway places to base yourself where the World Cups are. Um, I think under twenty one, under twenty three categories is a great idea. I, I maybe not both. No, no, no. It'll be it one or the other. Maybe U twenty one and downhill. What's XC again? It's U twenty three, right? Yes. So it's junior and then U twenty three. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite a few years you've got um, to develop yourself as an XC rider. Maybe downhill is a more younger man's sport, younger women's sport. Look, you can go on forever, like Greg. But what I mean is you probably want to know if you can, you know, you're not like, it seems in XC, you know, sometimes it takes 
uh, time for you as your body and your engine to develop. So under 21 maybe makes more sense for Dino. But yeah, I think we can riff on that a lot more and maybe think about the cons as well because we haven't really thought many about that. So great question. Um, well, this is a humdinger from Murph. I mean, if his name's anything to go by, it's no surprise. Does an uncircumcised rider have any advantage over a circumcised rider or vice versa? 100% weight is everything. I, I agree. I mean, less is more. Less is more. <laughs> I mean, done. We don't even have to... Done. I think just move Done. move right along in all genres of cycling. Weight is absolutely everything. All right, there it is. Alping Sven who um, provides audio, and he's either got to ask the riders, or they got to drop trow at the end of the next race, so we can do a survey. Should we? Oh, survey. This guy's he's opened it up. Maybe that's the secret ingredient. Okay, let's move along. I've got a serious question here. <laughs> so Rob on Instagram is asking. Um, I know what the difference is between boosting and squashing the jump. Visually, that is. But how does one do it? Not a bad question. Oh, that's a good question. Definitely. We speak about boosting and squashing. So squashing uh, in uh, layman's terms would be absorbing the lip and going as low as possible and or pushing through so that you can get down onto the ground quicker. Have I communicated that fair enough for audio listeners? Would be squashing. Boosting, for clarity, would be boost. So go as high as you can. Thus for fun, thus for effect. Or if you are not carrying enough speed for said jump, you often have to boost. So you go higher, which will create more distance for you. Some of the downhillers have to boost off small lips to get into the backsides of other things. So that's how to communicate. And now he wants the technique side. Yeah. Well, why don't you elaborate on that? You've helped some guys on the trail, Miles. You're doing a lot of coaching as well. I do some on the side. Um, yeah. Um, I think um, I think boosting, you... Uh... Well, okay, let me go about it this way. I think the difference really is in the knees. I think if you bend your knees on the lip, then you're going to absorb and you're not going to get the pop or the boost. But I think if you are straightening your knees on the lip, so as you're getting air, you're straightening your knees and loading the bike, um, you're gonna get that's how you boost i think it's i think there's are some other things going on like uh what are you doing with your arms and so on but i think to get the boost you have to straighten your legs completely on the takeoff of the jump and you have to yeah you've got to really preload the suspension on the face of the jump and then keep your knees straight i think to absorb you you can do what you want but if you if you bend your knees as you're getting onto the lip of the jump, then you'll you'll absorb. What do you think, Needles? Well, yeah, I, I don't want to just isolate just the knees. That's a critical component. Let's think about uh, the the squashing, absorbing. Good good use of words, definitely. 
I would say, obviously, everyone experiment on small jumps if this is a thing you haven't done much before. But think about when you're going up to a lip, if you're going quick and you don't want to go too high and you let the bike absorb into the body, so that's the arms and, like you said, the knees, they sort of bend a bit. They let the bike come into them up the lip. Then you aren't going to sort of create too much force into the lip. Like Miles said, if you want to boost, I'm putting quite a lot of force through my knees and arms and pushing sort of into the lip and I'll pull up. We'll get to that. But the absorbing, try it next time. Have quite stable knees and arms, a little bit of a bend and sort of keep it a little stiff, see what happens. But be careful locking your knees because you will um, get bucked and the front wheel will dive. Then the next time, go up to him and really sort of let the bike come to you, nice and relaxed and absorb it. That'll create less height. Then for boosting, I think if you watch someone ollie a skateboard and you practice this technique in the parking lot. So when someone ollies, the front wheel comes up first and then they level off the bike. I like this technique because you are in control of your back wheel and your level. Um, so you pull a little bit on the bars and you, like Miles said, you kind of push into the lip, but you then bring up the back wheel to lever it off. So try it in the parking lot. You're doing, it's a, it's a bunny hop. You're basically bunny hopping off a lip to boost. Well said. And there are some, there'll be some good videos out there and that's maybe with our verbal help, you can watch the technique in a rider. There you go, Rob. Rob on Instagram. Straight from the professional himself. What else have you got? I got one one last question. My side. Um, David. David says, what do we think of inserts? I'm assuming he's talking about tire inserts. Um, does it improve the ride quality? And if so, how? Good question. Interesting question. Um, I think... Uh, I think if an insert is helping you run the right pressures and not break your wheel and cut your tire, then it's a good idea. Um, and if you're riding trails that are gnarly enough, then inserts are a good idea for sure. Um, some of them, I think, do actually improve the ride quality um, you know, by providing providing some, well, they all allow you to run softer pressures, but over and above that, I think some of them actually improve the right quality. I haven't ridden all of them, um, but I think the biggest upside really is you're not going to destroy your tires and you've got less chance of destroying a rim with an insert. What do you think, Needles? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've been playing around with Kushko and I think you've tested them. And I, I mean, especially if you have carbon wheels, I mean, wouldn't you want to protect those things? I'm still so spoiled. I'm sponsored by E13. Um, and I don't, I haven't even broken a wheel, so I'm loving it. But if you're paying full whack for a carbon wheel, I would highly recommend looking into inserts and testing them. I think it can help with um, your rim, it can help decrease flats and it can and add some stability to the tire as well maybe drop the pressure so yeah i think they they definitely a good in, good invention and you see it on the downhill side a lot of those riders do have them seat the tires you know they seat nice and tight so yeah i'm, I'm all for that 
I always, uh, on gravity bikes, I always run one in the rear, not often in the front. I'm a big fan of running them in the rear, especially if there's a carbon rim. Even if there is a warranty, just it's so difficult to get parts these days. And um, I, I'm a big fan of inserts. Um, I like the C6 one. I like the Kushko one. Um, I have ridden the Vittoria one, but I haven't spent a lot of time on it. Um, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of, of inserts. Yeah, there you have it. Okay, Connor42Taylor on Instagram. How to start progressing if you're stuck on a plateau? So I would gauge that this rider, let me have a look at him, is takes his riding probably pretty seriously. He sounds, maybe he's frustrated. And I think this happens at any level. You probably see it when you're coaching. The pros go through the same thing. You can put in a lot of work, a lot of practice, get out there, and it just seems like your riding's not improving. Same happens with fitness. Um, and I do, unfortunately, you've got to keep at it. But have a plan. What are you trying to improve? You know, if you say, I'm not improving. Okay, well, what are we talking about? Is your cornering not improving? Is your jumping not improving? Are your tines not dropping on the trail? We need to isolate that. And then you know what? Come up with a plan and keep it fun. There are going to be times. And sometimes you have to try new things and you take a step back in your technique. You start thinking about your technique a bit more and then it'll click again. And next thing you'll be on the next level of that plateau or, or reach up there. So I would say go easy on yourself if you are frustrated that you've plateaued and, and I'm not getting better. You know, I think once you get to a decent level, I think the gains are marginal, like we've spoken about geometry speed cornering technique once you've got a very good technique i mean it's tough to to improve from that it, it only small things need to happen well, what i mean is it's going to take a while for like a small improvement to happen because maybe you are riding that well yeah i think um i think one of the most important things is to slow down a little bit and give yourself so if you're trying to refine your technique and you're trying to do something different to improve your speed it's important to slow down on the trail a little bit so slow down to 70 80 percent of your of your what your pace is your comfy pace and then that gives you the bandwidth to actually think about the new technique you're trying to do so and then refine that technique get that technique dialed whether it's as you say jumping drop-offs cornering and uh, do some drills on one particular section of trail refine that technique at a slower pace and then once you're comfortable with that new technique just keep focusing on that technique and then the speed will just start happening you know um, so that's the one thing is basically slow down to give yourself bandwidth to think about implementing a new technique and then I think the other other thing that might come in useful is 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 sessioning. Yeah, um, I mean we've spoken about. I already mentioned it. We've spoken about it before. Um, doing drills, so finding a corner and just hammering it over and over and over again, or a short track like we've mentioned before. Find a short one-minute section of trail and hammer it over and over again, um, and start to find the limits of what is possible for you and um, yeah, lastly, it takes time. Eh? Like You can't watch one video or go to one skill session and then expect to be 
carrying corner speed like Minar or Vergier. You've, uh, you've got to be patient and easy on yourself. I think that's brilliant advice and you've, you've dug into it. I do think uh, slowing down a little bit, reworking on some basic techniques. The pros do it as well. And be that that you put some cones before the entry of a turn. If you're looking for track speed, it comes in the turns often. So you can put some cones down and you just go slowly up into that cone. You're allowed to brake, but once you hit the cone at the start of the turn, you're not allowed to touch your brakes again. And even the pros, we do these drills. And, and once that becomes second nature, you take it to sort of your trail out there. But I think Miles has given some excellent advice. In the beginning, it'll feel like you, you know, when it's a new sport, you feel like you're improving every day. I mean, I've, you know, learned a new sport in golf. And in the beginning, it honestly is so fun because you, you feel like you're improving and you're excited. Now I'm honestly probably at the stage where you go through these slumps. And I think that can happen in, in biking as well. Maybe he's a bit despondent. He's been riding for a long time and he's sort of the same that he was. So now he needs to get creative um, and go out there and, and like Miles said, see about some timed runs on a short section, but also go back to the drawing board, do some drills, do some corners. Yeah. Nice. All right. So yeah, stories from back in the day. I did want to share um, a funny story that actually is to do with a serious topic that's going on. It's quite a few riders out with concussion. And uh, I had Dr. Ewan Spirits. That's the Crankworx doctor. That's an episode, I think, for any of you guys. Fascinating to listen to. That's a few back. He was on yet. He was on Maybe I'll leave yeah, you with this, I'll and then Miles can give us some parting thoughts. But I was in Whistler. I was in Whistler having a great time. A great time. And we got surprised with got Travis surprised Pastrana. With Travis Pastrana. The legend Travis Pastrana legend was in Whistler at that time. Whistler. He was that backed by Giant. Backed by Giant. And he came out with his family. Came out with his family. And um, and uh, we had dinner with him. Great guy. Him. Very great down to earth. Chatting to all of us. And the next day he was keen to go riding. So I got lucky enough. We went riding. riding. So we did a whole morning of riding. I mean, it's classic I mean, stuff. It's we, classic you know, for stuff. us, it was second yeah, nature. For him, it's a different sport. Oh, you guys are crazy. You jumped this route jumped onto this, this backside. Onto this this backside. is nuts. And we're all thinking, mate, you've done a double backflip on a motorbike. You cannot call us crazy. You are basically the dictionary definition of action sport and crazy is Travis Pastrana. So we do this ride. So we do this ride. And then the afternoon, I've got A line practice, and I'm cocky as ever. And I think I was defending champ that year. And I was riding well. And I just got bucked on a lip. And I went huge, one of my biggest crashes. Smacked my head. Luckily, nothing else injured, but off to the hospital, concussion tests, everything. Get back to the condo. and my memory's not there. My memory's not there. And Danny, how are you doing? Danny, I'm not bad. Doing? What was last week? No, it was Mount Sinan. No, it was Mount Sinan. Oh, cool. How did oh, cool. I do? Oh, you qualified second and then you got quite solid in the final. I was like, bullshit. You're lying. Like, I haven't qualified second. Like, no, no, you really did. Like, no, no, you really did. Anyway, so that was funny. So that was funny. Then, then, then I says, oh, and you were riding all morning with Travis. all morning with Travis. Travis? Travis who? No, Travis Pastrana. No, Travis Pastrana. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember. I, I couldn't remember. 
<laughs> the best morning <laughs> of my life, morning probably, of until my life probably until that time. Me, the you idiot, we had a huge crash. I'm laughing about it now. It's a very serious topic, very and serious topic. I did all the correct resting and all that after it. So hopefully, touch wood, I'm fine. I couldn't remember riding with this guy for a day or two. For a day or two. It's it's all sort of it's, come it's back to me now. But to um, me now. he came but, up to me in the restaurant that evening, and he was sort of. Poking fun. poking fun and i honestly couldn't really, honestly remember, couldn't that really remember that much and then the next but day he's the having fun again and we're at the bar and he he thinks he's gonna have a go he and, he says, go and he says hey yo you were hey, riding yo, and uh riding and then and we went to dinner and you didn't remember much you were hitting on my wife he says to me but luckily i see where this is going i said oh do you blame me oh do you blame me is <laughs> what you hitting on my wife? Would you hitting on my wife? Oh, I said, well, oh, you married said, well, her. She seems very pretty and a nice lady. Yeah, maybe I was. Maybe I was. And just called him at his <laughs> bluff. Just called him at his he was just bluff. bluffing that I wouldn't remember it. That I wouldn't remember it. <laughs> so uh, uh, classic. So, uh, I'll leave you with that I'll behind the scenes story that I don't think's been shared on the podcast. Maybe it has. Maybe I forgot because I did hit my head. But yeah, if you're interested in that concussion side, there's a there's an episode earlier on. Yeah, I listened to that potty. That's quite it's quite serious stuff. I mean, funny at the time and what have you, but little did we know back then how serious they are. Nice podcast, by the way. I enjoyed that one. Yono, thanks very much. And uh, people have been asking me. I've been listening to what's going on, but there's not a lot of clear information on it in terms of the World Cups. But it sounds like the riders uh, are going to try get together and form some sort of riders union. And what that would hopefully serve is that they have a more of a voice at the table. And I think it's long overdue. Other sports have gone through these these issues. And it's, their sports have become all the better for it. I don't think it's a malicious play by the riders. I think it's only fair that they have some sort of say, considering, I mean, Miles, these riders, cross-country, track, whatever, if safety is a real concern, I mean, these are the riders. If they're not there, there's no event. Like, they're actually the prize here. The riders' union is great. I mean, it, it's um, that Andorra track, that bridge the entry to the bridge. Um, so there's that like step down, hop, and then it looked like, I mean, I wasn't there, but it looked very rough and you had to pull right to make it, to, to enter that final finish line bridge. I mean, every single, I watched the whole race, every single rider that went through there, I was, I was crapping myself. I, it was so dangerous. And um I, I don't think that event should have gone ahead with that bridge being so dangerous. They should have done something to slow the riders down. I mean, it was fast enough. Virgil was even tucking on that bridge. So if you add a speed when you feel like you can tuck, that's closer to 40k an hour. I mean, I don't know how fast Virgil was going, but he tucked on that bridge after squeezing onto it. I mean, if you just clipped your bars on the edge of that bridge, it would have been very nasty. Uh, if you clipped your shoulder, it would have been even more catastrophic. Um, and I was surprised that the race was actually still going going ahead with with that. And that's just one spot. There were a couple of other spots. So I think um, these are athletes, and they train so hard to get into the best shape of their life. 
and to compete and to get to a track where they have to risk their life to show, you know, to perform. I think that's not what the sport is about. I don't think, I, I think the risks should be minimized as much as possible. And I, I don't think uh, the Andorra track was particularly a smart one. Um, some of the sections were just no, too dangerous. No, I mean, Loic's, no, but Loic's been quoted to saying that he gave feedback. He did try. And that's See, so that's crazy because part. if and that was like earlier on, and I'm not calling anyone out. I, I want to lead with I'm not calling anyone out, but at the same time, if you get to an event and I mean the practice starts the next day and you've got this huge structure, I mean that's a very challenging thing. But then isn't there a way to slow them down even to a walking pace and say, look, we're gonna slow it down to walking pace. It's not gonna look good on TV, but your uh safety is our number one priority or at least close to it, you know? I mean, you can't build a new bridge, but you can pull the tape in. It takes five minutes to, to nail a new peg into the ground and pull the tape in, like you say, to make a little a little chicane or something, just to make it tighter before they actually get onto the bridge. I mean, it's it's crazy that the best riders in the world mentioned something at the, I think at the Catalonia Cup, which was on the same track, on the same bridge. They mentioned it, like, this is dangerous, and then what is it four weeks later or maybe more they haven't changed it and it's now world cup and when your top riders are voicing concern that nothing happens so i think a union is a great idea and it's not like they're going to down tools or anything but i think uh, one of the things they need they want it for is to look after the interests, look after the safety of the riders look after everyone's health i mean it is a dangerous sport but let's just try and when we can see something's blatantly, blatantly dangerous, let's come up with a with an option. There should be someone who can action it immediately. That's that's what I think. Yeah, I think it'll over time when it gets ironed out, it'll be a good thing. And they, we all want to grow the sport. That's what this podcast is for. I help people get better at biking, help the races become safer. I'm definitely engaging with the guys because I, I want to see the sport progress in a good way, and we don't want unnecessary accidents or, 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 along the way. So I think it'll be good because if they have more of a voice, they have great ideas. They're the ones riding. They're the ones that have to maybe, like Finn said, go to a do we go to a street race, guys? We know we don't like it. Can we go to a safish one? Can we not have it part of the series? But maybe it grows a sport. And we all vote no? Cool. Let's try not go to a street race. Whatever the example is, I think the riders can help with the creativity to push the sport as well. Because they're young, they they've got a big fan base. So um yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to how it plays out. I think it'll be a positive for everyone. And then let's just go about it the right way and everyone deserves a seat at that table. So, guys, this has been the world of MTB. I'm Andrew Nietling. That was Miles Kelsey from Bike Network. You know what to do. If it's added any value, I think the biggest thing you can do for us is share it with a friend. Because if he gets value from it or he gets help, then he enjoys his riding. That's really all we ask. You want to leave me a review? Great. I read all of those. Send the questions in. You saw there were some funny ones. We're not really scared of answering anything. So guys, till the next one, stay well. This episode is brought to you by Kenda Tires. With over 60 years of experience in manufacturing tires, Kenda has been offering high quality rubber products for bicycles, cars, light trucks, motorcycles, ATVs, trailers, carts, golf carts. The list goes on since 1962 with offices and factories across Asia, North America, Europe. Kenda distributes its products globally and employs more than 10,000 people. 
Now listen to this number. They produce more than 800,000 tires and tubes daily. It's easy to see why Kende is one of the top five largest bicycle tire manufacturers in the world. Now I am lucky to be supported by them and I helped design, develop, I was involved in the passion and the work that they put into developing the new range of bicycle tires that they have that people use and compete on the World Cup circuit.